Good morning, everybody. Matthew 5, what we just uh, stated is what we're going to be in today. We are beginning a a series on the Sermon on the Mount that is going to take us to Advent. And uh, the Beatitudes is what we just read and what we are going to challenge everyone to memorize here in the coming weeks. More about that in a second. But one of the things uh, that I want us to understand as we get into the Sermon on the Mount is that the Beatitudes, what we just read together, are the preamble of the entire Sermon on the Mount. All right, show of hands. My peeps that grew up in the 70s and early 80s, show me your hands, come on. All right, I want you to help me out here this morning because what these other people around us don't know is that we can recite the preamble of the Constitution (laughs) and have been able to do so since we were kids. So help me out, all my peeps here. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, Promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Yeah. Schoolhouse rock, baby. Paw Patrol isn't going to teach you that, let me tell you that. I remember being in eighth grade government class, and we had to, part of the test was to write the preamble of the Constitution from memory. And I could, I could see everybody kind of singing, we the people, <laughs> they're writing it down. Oh, yeah, it's amazing how those things stick in your head. Well, a preamble is a statement that basically describes everything that is going to be said afterwards. So the Beatitudes are the preamble to the the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, everything Jesus is going to say through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be making our way through in Matthews 5, 6, and 7 relate back to the Beatitudes. So why did he give us this preamble? Why did he give us these beatitudes? One commentator that I read uh, as I was studying for this said that what Jesus is describing in these beatitudes is a different way to be human. I love that. A different way to be human. And here's the thing, my brothers and sisters, my disciples of Jesus, The world needs to see a different way to be human. The world does not need us to be members of third church. The world needs us to be different. And what Jesus is describing in these is is a different way to be human. I have a colleague who's a Buddhist, and he's always talking about the, the eight Fold way of Buddha, right? And awesome. So it's sorry, when we began working on the Sermon on the Mount study, Kevin gave me a book 
It's called the ninefold path of Jesus. And I encourage you to write that down because my outline today is basically right out of this book. And I want to give Mark Scandrett, uh, who wrote the ninefold path of Jesus, some uh, attribution here. And he gave me permission, by the way, I emailed, he gave me permission to do that. And I want to encourage you to get that book, if you will. It's a real simple book. Um, and so I want to give you the outline that he's given because he basically, as he tells a story, he had a man who, who called him and said, can I meet with you? And it was a Buddhist monk. And the Buddhist monk came in and they met together, they had coffee, and he said, well, tell me about being a Buddhist. And so the Buddhist, without flinching, said, yep, here's the eight-fold path of being a Buddhist. And just boom, 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 boom. And it was kind of like, oh, that's great. And then the Buddhist monk said, Tell me about being a Christian. And Mark froze. And he goes, well, loving others as you would want to be loved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your neighbors, yourself. And he said, that was all right, but I just realized that it just fell short. And I felt, he felt awful that that he just couldn't say, this is the way of Jesus. And then he went to the Beatitudes, and he found the ninefold path of Jesus. So that's what the, these Beatitudes are. So let's begin with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the way of trust. And I encourage your, your note takers to write these down as we go through. It's the way of trust. Own your poverty, live with open hands. Now, as we go through today, I wanna give you an example. And it just, God gave me the, this week uh, as I'm blogging my way through 1 Samuel. There's a story in 1 Samuel. Here's the, here's the setting. David, David and Goliath fame. David is... Um, been anointed by Samuel that someday you are a man after my own heart and you are going to be my king and I'm going to establish your throne. The problem is, is there's already a king on the throne. His name is Saul. And Saul was anointed king as well and he's still on the throne, but Saul is not a man after God's own heart. In fact, everything that Saul does is out of envy and greed and pride. So the whole story of David and Saul is that there's a contrast between God's man and man's man. And Saul, still on the throne, he is envious of David, who's popular because he slew Goliath. He, uh, David, everything David does is successful and prosperous and people love him. And he knows that Samuel has anointed David to be his successor. Well, Saul wants to make his claim on earth. He wants his son, Jonathan, to be king. He wants his family to be established. He wants this kingdom to stay with him and with his family. So his envious, greedy pride, he decides he's going to kill David. And he puts a price on his head. So David flees into the wilderness and he hides out in this cave and there, he has this ragtime, it says everybody who's, who's down and out, who has a price on their head, you know, it's, it's like, he's like the prototype of Robin Hood. And he had these like 400 to 500 mercenaries and misfits who gathered around him in the desert, and they're living in a cave. 
while Saul is hunting for David's life. So in 1 Samuel 23, uh, we're not going to read it, but I'll tell you the story. Saul is searching for David, and you, you can't make this up. Saul has to answer nature's call, if you know what I mean. So he goes into this cave to do his business. David and his men are hiding deeper in the cave. So David, his, his, his men go, this is your chance, dude. This is the guy who's trying to kill you. Your en- God has delivered your enemy into your hands. So David, he sneaks up behind Saul and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And then he retreats back into the cave. So Saul gets done doing his business and he goes out with his men and he's starting to kind of turn around and keep searching and David steps out of the cave and confronts him and says, my Lord, the king, and turns around and he says, I could have killed you today. I just want to know why are you, why are you chasing after me? I've done nothing wrong. Why are you doing evil to me when I've not done evil to you? What's going on? I have nothing against you. We can be at peace with each other. And Saul, at that moment, is struck to his heart. You're right, you're right. Just promise me you won't cut off my family when God makes you king. David says, I promise, take an oath. And then they retreated. So when you look at the story of David, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we think about poor as poverty in monetary terms, but it's not just monetary terms. David, David was living in poverty. He was in the cave. He was, he was alone, cut off from his family, cut off from his wife, cut off from everybody that he loved, fear for his life, price on his head. But instead, he, he just embraced the circumstances that God placed him in, and he placed his trust in God. So listen to me now. The world celebrates excess. God celebrates contentment and trust. This is the way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the way of trust. Next, blessed are those who mourn. This is the way of lament. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Mark's Gandrop puts it this way. Face your pain and wait for comfort. Just like Jeremiah did in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, as he sees the destruction of Jerusalem all around him and he sees dead bodies and people eating the flesh of other humans because there's no food. And in the midst of that, he writes a three-chapter lament. Go ahead and read it. If you are in mourning, if you are in lament, read Lamentations. For he laments and he goes through it and he says, but then I, then I remembered this. 
God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's the way of lament. I am going to feel my pain, I'm going to lament, and I'm going to wait for God's goodness and mercy. David, when he wrote Psalm 23, basically said, you don't get to live in the house of the Lord forever without going through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the way of lament. So hear me, the world celebrates happiness. Isn't that true? We're always trying to be happy. We go to Disney World, the happiest place on earth. We love happy. But God celebrates maturity, and wholeness and completeness. So David is living in this cave, and you know what he does while he's in the cave? He writes songs. In fact, you can go to uh, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, and if you look at the liner notes on there, it says, written in the cave when David was hiding from Saul. And you listen to David's lament. He wasn't afraid to speak his pain and to feel his pain and express his pain. And the whole time he's in that that cave, he's putting his trust in God. He's expressing his pain and waiting for God to lift him up. Go on. Blessed are the meek. This is the way of humility. Mark Scandrick puts it this way. See your true self. Bow to the dignity of all. In just a couple of weeks, Katie Peterson is going to be with us, and she's going to share with us from Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verse 44, when Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See in others myself. Wendy and I were just talking on our uh, trip down to the lake uh, a week or so ago, remembering uh, The Shack, the movie The Shack, um, and I know The Shack's controversial for a lot of people, but love the movie The Shack, love the book, and there's this great scene that Wendy and I love, we have talked about it multiple times, where God the Father, uh, represented by this beautiful, loving, black mother. And throughout the, she's talking to this guy whose child had been abducted and killed, who's in lament. And she keeps, as he brings up names of people, she's like, oh yes, I'm especially fond of him. Oh yeah, 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 I know her. I'm especially fond of her. And then the guy asks, at one point goes, is there anybody that you're not especially fond of? Hmm, come to think of it, no. And as I encounter people that I don't like, whether they're people I know or the people in the media or people in, uh, in politics, all kinds of that I don't like them, I hear in the back of my head, I'm especially fond of them. Because God died for them. Jesus loves them. And God asks us to see our enemies and those we don't like as somebody that God loves and died for. That's the way of humility. 
So here we go. The world celebrates power, but God celebrates loving submission. So David has the power in this moment to kill his enemy. And instead, he says, far be it from me to lay my hand on God's anointed. He's God's anointed king right now. Not for me to lay a hand on him because God has anointed him. Can we see others through God's eyes? Especially fond of that person. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the way of justice. Scandrat puts it this way, ache for change, step into action. Romans 12, 19 says, make way for God's wrath. For God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The world celebrates vengeance of the strong. Don't our movies, we love to see vengeance. We love to see the, the, the guy who's been wronged make it right by wiping out all the bad guys. But God, God celebrates his justice for the weak. David, in that cave, chose not to be judge, jury, and executioner. Instead, he said, you know what? If I'm going to be king and Saul is going to be dethroned, it's going to be God doing it and not me. That's the way of justice. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The way of compassion. Stop judging. Look with love. Especially fond of them. <laughs> Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. Consider others. Don't live out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. The world celebrates selfishness, doesn't it? It's all about selfishness. Even, the world can even take being a victim and turn it into power. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how the enemy can do that? The world celebrates selfishness, but God celebrates sincere consideration. Consider others more important than yourself. David mercifully treats Saul as he would want to be treated. I could kill him, but I won't. Just as I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. Next, blessed are the pure in heart. This is the way of right motive. Choose goodness. Show the real you. Proverbs 16, 12 says, always seem pure, but God weighs the motives. In other words, it's not, it's not what you did, but what was your motivation in doing. You can do all of these great things, but if the motiv motivation is selfish ambition, vain conceit, getting ahead, making myself look good, God is going to weigh our hearts more than our deeds. So are our hearts right? 
The world celebrates appearances. I'm looking good. Go to church, carrying my Bible. But what's what's the motivation? A couple weeks ago in the sanctuary, I gave a message on the difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Believers go to church out of expectation, trying to keep up the appearances. Disciples come to church because you know what? They wanna be with other disciples. They wanna share life with others and they wanna worship God together with others. It's a motivation. I wanna go and be part of that. David was more concerned with the condition of his heart than the comfort of his circumstances. He knew that if he could kill Saul and immediately he, he had, uh, I could be king. God anointed me king. I don't have to live in this cave. But he knew that if I kill this king, my heart is not going to be right with God. And I would rather have my heart right and live in this cave than act out of selfish motive just so that I can be king and get out of this cave. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the way of peacemaking. Scandrat says, make peace reach past differences. Romans 12, 18 says, as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Everyone. The world celebrates domination. Kingdoms of this world want to dominate. I want to dominate, and, and we even do it in our relationships. If, if, we, if I'm in a broken relationship, and I have it out, I don't, I'm not liking this person, and I'm looking out because I want to prove that I'm right, I want to dominate this situation, let this person know they're wrong and that I'm right, that's domination. Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you are in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, If you're on your way to church and you suddenly remember somebody has something against you, go make peace with that person. Then come to me and and offer your offerings. Be at peace. So David, having cut off a piece of the robe, what does he do? My Lord, the king, why are you chasing me? I just want to live at peace with you. I have nothing against you. Why are you trying to kill me? I had a chance to kill you, I'm not gonna do it. So why keep hunting me? He's trying to make peace out of the situation and resolve the conflict. Two more, blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness. This is the way of surrender. Embrace suffering, hear that again. Embrace suffering, keep doing good. James one, two through three, we just went through James a couple months ago, didn't we? Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that, the, knowing that the trials of your faith produce endurance. They may be complete, mature, lacking in nothing. God is interested in our maturity. So the world celebrates escaping pain. They do, don't they? Why are Fentanyl and opioid overdoses overtaking and becoming the highest cause of death in the United States because so many people are trying to escape the pain. The world celebrates escaping the pain. 
Go out, get an adrenaline rush. You shouldn't feel this way. You shouldn't have pain. Life should be pain-free. But God says, no, 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 no. Rejoice when you encounter various trials. Be glad when life is hard and you experience some pain because God is interested. Not in you escaping pain, God celebrates faith-fueled perseverance because that's the path to maturity and wholeness and completeness. David's entire life had become that of being persecuted. In the Beatitudes, yeah, he's been lied to. He's been attempted to give, uh, take his life. But still, he humbly surrenders to God's will and says, God, if you are really going to make me king, it will be in your timing. And in the meantime, as I'm living in this cave, I'm just gonna continue to trust. He surrenders his will to God's will. Humble yourselves, says in 1 Peter. And at the right time, God will lift you up. That's the way of surrender. And then finally, blessed are you when others insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is the way of radical love. Have hope. Live fearlessly. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Remember when you're king, uh, kids? Uh, I got a, thinking about childhood today, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Schoolhouse Rock. I also remember in the in the in the winter time, at school, as soon as the snow, big, I have a big snow, and the plows would come and make the big big snow mountain outside school. What did we do right after school? We played king of the mountain, man. Get out there. Everybody climbing for the top, trying to throw each other down. The world celebrates being king of the mountain, getting as high as you can, having as much power, having as much stuff, having, having, having it all. But God, you know what? He celebrates being content. Not having to climb the mountain. Paul wrote... Thessalonians, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, work with your hands, so that your daily life will win the respect of people around you, and so that you won't have to be dependent on anyone else, but you can just depend on me. Trust me. At the end of today's this episode between Saul and, and David, Saul goes back to his palace with his entourage and his warriors and his army and all the things that he has in the excess of this world. David goes back to his cave. But he picks up his lyre and he writes a song, the song, lyrics of Psalm 57. And if you read Psalm 57, he laments living among lions, ravenous beasts, and men whose teeth are sharp as spears. And twice when David, Saul tried to kill David, he tried to throw his spear and pin David to the wall. So Lord, I live among lions and ravenous beasts and men whose teeth are sharp as spears. But then the very next line he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Yet 
will I praise you? That's the way, radical love. When we can praise God and bless our enemies, be content in our circumstances, this is the way of Jesus. So we're going to focus on uh, memorizing over the next couple weeks Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Now why? I saw some, one of my friends posted a meme on uh, Facebook or something this week, and it was a Toby Mac quote that said, it doesn't matter how many scriptures you can recite, how do you treat people? Now, I, the spirit of that, I'll take the spirit of that meme as if you do the former but forget the latter, then you're not doing it right. But when I first saw it, I thought, okay, but if you're taking it that if I do the latter, I don't have to worry about the former. Then we would be wrong because God tells us as his disciples, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of God's mouth. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but on it you shall meditate day and night. How do you meditate day and night? By having it in here. This, just yesterday, I was with somebody that I don't like very much, I'm in, who I've known my whole life. Don't see him very often, but yesterday I did. And over the last two weeks, I have memorized Matthew 5, 3 through 12, in preparation for this series. And as I'm sitting there feeling my dislike for this person, God brought up, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. This is the way of compassion. Yeah, I'm especially fond of him. Yeah, God, <laughs> sorry. But if that wasn't in here, I never would have thought that in that moment. If I hadn't been thinking about it and studying it and meditating on it and memorizing it, God was, the Holy Spirit was able to bring it up to, in the moment that I needed it to remember how I am supposed to live differently as a human being. So we're going to memorize this. Now, here we go. As you go to memorize, we want to memorize it so that we can have God's word in our hearts, so the Holy Spirit can use it. The thing that I've learned in memorizing, both in theater and in scripture memory, is the key is repetition, 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 repetition. The more you repeat it, how, how could we all sing the, the preamble song when most of us haven't even heard it or sang it for 30 years? Because we memorize it. was repetition. Every Saturday morning, Schoolhouse Rock came on, we'd sing along, and it gets stuck in there. The same thing is true of scripture. So one thing that I encourage you to do is do visual reminders. Print it out. Have it up in your... Have it up in your bathroom mirror. And as you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> Preston this morning, who's doing slides this morning. Preston said he's got it programmed so that when he gets up in the morning, he, uh, you know, he, hit, he tells his echo to start. And the first thing he does is he listens to the Beatitudes and has, has his echo repeated to him. So that's the first thing he hears in the morning. He's been doing that every morning. Yes, use technology. One of the things that I've done in memorizing is I actually recorded the Beatitudes 
And then I put a little, little uh, spa music behind it. And I've been going for walks. And I'll bring that up, that little MP3 up on my Apple Music, and then I hit repeat. And I will walk two miles, 30 minutes, and I listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And first, I, I'm kind of saying along with it. And then as I got more familiar, I would try to start the verse before the, the track. And then as I felt like I got it, then I would just hit the pause button and I'd try and say it all to myself. And then I'd mess up and go, okay, go back. And sometimes my mind would wander and I'd be listening and I'd wander and I'd be, all of a sudden I'd be thinking about being humble and the poor spirit and all, you know, compassion. And that's okay. I let my mind wander. I let myself meditate on it. And then all of a sudden I'm going, oh, yeah, 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 I'm memorizing. I come back to wherever the track was and just pick up where I was. It took me like a week of walking every other day or so to have the whole thing memorized. So, by the way, um, I put both of my audio files of me reading it, both the, the verses and the, with the ninefold uh, way of in, interspersed in them on my uh, on my website, tombanderwell.com. So if you go there, I just put it out there this morning. So if you, if you want to download that and try it, you're welcome to it. So auditory repetition is great. Listen to it over and over and over again. Also hand-to-brain connection. One of the best ways to memorize is to write things out with your hand. There's a connection that God made between our hands and our brains. And if you just write it out over and over again, it, it helps to memorize, promise you, okay? So those are just some ideas and some tips want to encourage you to get it printed out, start on it this week. And then, as we go forward, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Uh, as we go forward, each week, I want you to do this. This is the challenge. As we read this section of the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to connect it back to the preamble. Which beatitude, which way of Jesus is Jesus connecting to when he talks about salt and light, when he talks about leaving your offering at the altar. And we're going to do that every week as we go through here. So as you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, as we do it each week, uh, the teachers are going to be connecting us back to this preamble. All right? Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll worship. God, thanks so much for uh, your word. I pray that we would take up this challenge to be, to be different, to live differently than the world. Imprint your word on our hearts that it may transform our lives to be more like you and change the way our heart, our mind, our lips, and our hands and feet work in your name. Amen.